Well, you guys can be seated. Once again, just want to wish you guys a good morning. Uh, man, I love, love our worship band. They did such an awesome job. Um, my, name is, my name is John. I feel bad like having to introduce myself every time I come up here. Um, but, you know, I look out and there's new people here every time. And I know there are people that I haven't met yet. And so um, my name is John. I get to be one of the pastor elders here. Um, you don't have to call me Pastor John when we meet. Um, I, work at a, uh, I work at a sports media company, and they call me father. Uh, so <laughs> if you want, you can do that. Um, that's a joke. Please don't. Please don't. Um, but I want to encourage you guys, uh, open your Bibles up. You can turn your, your, your Bible phones on as well. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 21 eventually, and I get to close out our sermon series uh, that we've been in over the last three weeks. This is the final, uh, final step here. And we've been looking at the Easter story through the, the eyes, through the character of Peter. And that well-known you know, Bible figure who's, who's bold, he makes mistakes, he puts his foot in his mouth. We've been looking at the, the Easter story through his eyes because he's really relatable, right? He's, he's just like us. He's got his He's got his good side, he's got his bad side, right? He's, he's got character flaws just like we do. He's just a regular working class guy. And last week, Pastor Ryan shared that wonderful, wonderful, incredible, hopeful message about in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our, our mess-ups, Jesus pursues us. He comes after us. And, and you, the, the truth that you can't outrun the goodness of God. God is always, always, always pursuing you. And we, we need to be reminded of that truth, right? Like, I need to be reminded that Jesus is always coming after me. Uh, I, don't live, I don't live a perfect life. Uh, maybe there's some of you out here who might. But um, the, the truth, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're breathing, Jesus desires to have a relationship with you. There's no sin that can overshadow that. There's no sin that can overshadow the grace and the love of God. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness will always always meet you right where you're at. Maybe, maybe there's some people here this morning who need to hear that. God's grace will meet you where you're at. And that's what we've seen in Peter's life up to this point in our, our series. But I'm, I'm up here, so the, the story's not over. Jesus has more for Peter than just forgiveness. He has, he has more for him than just meeting him with grace and, and mercy, and as amazing as that is, there's more. How can it get any better, right? That's good news. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is on, what's on the other side of God's grace and forgiveness for Peter, and what's on the other side of that for you and for me? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray uh, one more time. Join me in prayer before we get into the Word. God, we, we are so thankful we're so, so grateful for your grace, for your mercy that is just unending and unconditional and, and is far beyond what we can comprehend. God, I pray that we don't limit your grace by our own standards of what we can give out. That your grace is greater, your mercy is strong, your forgiveness is amazing. Lord, I want to I, I wanna, um, just pray that we would be able to we'd be able to comprehend what you have for us on the other side of that, that you have a purpose for us, that you have, 
you have obedience for us on the other side of your grace and your mercy. We love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you, uh, if you didn't get it the first time, we're going to be in John 21, so you can open up your Bibles there. We're going to read uh, verses 15 through 19 eventually, all right? So we're going to get there. You can open them up. Um, also, I encourage you, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take some notes. Don't write down what I say, right? Write down what, uh, what God prompts uh, in your heart or in your mind, just things that he, he uh, puts in there. So we're going we're gonna to read those verses eventually. However, before that, I want to uh, briefly summarize what's happened right before this passage, because I think it'll really help set the stage for us to understand a little bit better. And so story before this, we know Jesus has already died on the cross, right? He's already been resurrected. So this, this miracle has already happened, and Jesus has already appeared to Peter and the rest of his disciples. We learned about that last week, right? Jesus has already announced peace to Peter, so he's already, like, given that forgiveness. He's already been commissioned. All of the disciples have been commissioned in John 20. And this is what happens in John 21. Peter goes, Peter and some of the other disciples, they go back to, to fishing. We read that they, they wake up really early in the morning and they, you know, get out on the boat and they, they go back to what they know. They're fishermen. And then Jesus appears on the shore and Peter gets like super excited. He jumps out of the boat. He goes and meets Jesus and Jesus says, hey, like, Bring your, you know, bring your nets in. They get, catch 150 fish, and it's morning time. They're, they're around the, this fire, this charcoal fire, uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they're you know, sharing this breakfast together. And, and we'll pause there before we read. It's really incredible. The disciples, they just experienced the most amazing miracle ever, right? Peter, Peter experiences this incredible miracle, and that they they go back to their life of just fishing, right? They're fishermen. It's what they know. They're back where they were. They're in the same sea where, where they were when Jesus first called them to follow him three years earlier. This isn't, this isn't the main point of the sermon. You can write this down if you want to. You don't have to, right? No pressure. But I think, I think it's a point worth making. I think it's a point where we can all relate to is that it's really, really easy after experiencing the grace of God, after we sing, you know, have this amazing worship service, after we, you know, have a heart-to-heart -heart moment with Jesus, it's really easy to go back to life as usual, right? It's easy to return to our old ways, to what we're used to. To what we're comfortable with, to what we're you know familiar with, and you know I'm not going to preach more into this you know passage than, than needs to. These guys were fishermen. That's what they knew. All right, we're going to go back, and we're going to be fishermen. But I'm going to ask you a question, just to ponder: Have you returned to some old ways? Have we returned to just just old, comfortable ways of, of doing things? Could there be some unhealthy habits or sins that have slowly crept back into your life over the years? That at one time you said, I'll never go back. And, and suddenly or gradually have they crept back in. 
Could, could there be relationships or circumstances that you keep returning to that need to be cut out of your life completely? I want to encourage you, just, just take this time, right? There's no guilt here. You're around a bunch of people that love you. Take this time, self-examine. That's what the, the word is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a mirror for us to, to look at our lives and to examine, examine our hearts. Have we just returned to life as usual? Have you lost some passion to follow Jesus? When was the last time you shared your faith? When, when, was, when was the last time you, you shared your testimony? When was the last time maybe you spent a couple days in prayer and fasting? Maybe some zeal has worn off. And I think, you know, all of us need to have this moment that we return back. Return back to what it's all about, loving, pursuing Jesus. Maybe with some reckless abandon. All right, so it's my precursor. Uh, we're going to read the Bible now. All right. John 21, we're going to read verses 15 through 17 uh, first. We'll pause and we'll talk about it for a little bit. So Jesus and Peter, they're sitting on the shore around this fire. And it says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. All right, what's going on here? This back and forth. Do you love me? You know that I love you, right? It's Kind of an interesting conversation um, to have. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, any of you guys seen Fiddler on the Roof? That, that song, Do You Love Me? I don't know. That's just popped into my mind. <laughs> Not the point. Uh, three times they go back and forth. They go back and forth. So it's a weird conversation to have with like a really, really close friend. Do you, do you love me? And then every time Jesus says to Peter, all right, feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. What's, what's going on? What does all this mean? Sitting around this fire, having this conversation three times. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have to try to think too hard to remember a time not so long in the past of Peter's life where he was sitting around a, a different fire and he had a completely different response to Jesus. And he, he denied Jesus three times, right? Jesus knows this is the same guy. When, when Jesus was on trial, about to get crucified, Peter denies Jesus three separate times. They're at this point of intimacy. It's a literally, you've heard that phrase, come to Jesus moment, right? Three times. And Peter, it says he's grieved. Jesus, he brings Peter to this, this point of, of conviction. And, and sometimes... Sometimes I think we need to have this conversation with Jesus, where, where he brings us to a, a point of conviction where we say, do I love Jesus? Examine our lives. If I, if I love Jesus, how am I showing it? And so it's, it's in this moment where Jesus has this heart-to-heart -heart with Peter. He says, all right, 
been through three years together. You've seen it all. You've experienced my grace, my forgiveness, this amazing miracle on the cross. What do you want to do with it? Do you, do you love me? And it's in this moment that Jesus fully restores Peter. He gives him this opportunity, right? And he doesn't just forgive him. He doesn't just say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He also trusts him. Every time Peter says, yes, I love you, Jesus says, okay, I've given you the responsibility now to be a shepherd. He doesn't just forgive him. He trusts him. He says, all right, feed my sheep. And this should remind us, we should be reminded who Jesus is. From, from Jesus' own mouth, his own words, Jesus is the good shepherd. John, in John 10, he says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus gives the responsibility of being a shepherd, what Jesus says is his title, to Peter, the one who denied him. That seems like well, maybe a little irresponsible, right? <laughs> but he gives this responsibility of Peter to tend, to care, to feed for the sheep. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I've turned your, your denial into love. I've turned your denial into love, and now I want to turn your love into purpose. Following Jesus isn't just about experiencing grace and forgiveness, but should lead us to a life of purpose. And so that's a question that begs to be asked. Has your love for Jesus led you to a purpose? Ask it one more time. Has your love for Jesus led you to a purpose? Who has Jesus placed in your life to tend and to care for? And this sounds like, you know, this sounds like a church question, right? Who are you to be a shepherd to? But really, this is as simple and as practical as the people you see every day. Your family, your friends, your coworkers. We need to, we need to examine the way that we have relationship with the people that we come across every day. You know, I'm convicted as, as I preach this message, you know, I, I have four kids of my own, and, you know, we think about, okay, you know, we, we homeschool our kids, we have these, this curriculum that, okay, this is how we're going to turn our kids into fully functioning people, which I don't know if we can do it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we get them involved in things that they like and they want to get better at. We, have, we go to soccer practice two nights a week and we have games on the weekend we are very good at making plans for our future like right and we're very good at investing in things that we think are important and and so let's get practical right that's what, something we like to do here was turn the, the spiritual into practical what are what are ways you are intentionally investing into people with a purpose to show love and to show grace. You're in people's lives for a purpose. And, and so it's very, very practical. Examine the relationships that you, that you have. Parents, how are you raising your kids up to love Jesus? What kind of an example are you setting? It, that, that might be the greatest call there is, right? Right? To, to set an example of how to follow Jesus. It's a high call. It's overwhelming. That's why you're, you know, you're in community here. You can't do it on our own. You, know, you spend so much time with your coworkers. What are ways you can show grace and love to the people that you're around eight hours a day? You live next to people that might never step foot here in church. What are ways you can practically love 
your neighbors? This is practical. This isn't, you know, some, some crazy church conversation. This is an everyday thing. This is very practical. As practical as this is, I also believe that there are some people in here who haven't yet taken steps to fulfill a specific purpose that God has for you. Jesus might be calling some people in this room to a specific place or people group who desperately need to be shepherded. I want to encourage, I want to encourage you, press into Jesus. Press into Jesus. He will guide you to the purpose he created you for. Um, I want to tell a story. I like to tell stories sometimes. I think it helps illustrate. I want to introduce you to someone. Uh, throw that picture. Look at that. That's, that's uh, David Wilkerson. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him before. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, he's the one holding the baseball bat, exchanging it for a Bible, which is a, an interesting exchange. But David Wilkerson is a pastor uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. He's pastored a small-town rural church in Pennsylvania. And uh, he, he wrote this book, Crossing the Switchblade. But when he was, when he was a, a pastor, uh, he read a, an article about these, these gang members in New York City who were being tried for, for murder. And he was just taken aback by how young they were. And he felt very, very convicted in his heart that he needed to go to the courtroom and, and preach to them in the courtroom, which is crazy, right? It's, it's a silly thing to do. Um, but he felt convicted, and he was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And so he gets to the courtroom, and he's fired up. He has his Bible in his hand, and he's, you know, he looks like, like, like he does there. Um, and, and the judge kicks him out, right? And and so this famous picture is taken. He's got this Bible in his hand, um, you know, make this, this headline. It makes the news. This, this preacher enters this courtroom. And he's turned away. So God puts something on his heart. He's turned away. But what does he do? What, what does David Wilkerson do? He continues, continues to press in to the call of purpose that God's put on his, on his heart. And so he started small. He starts witnessing in the streets. He started witnessing to these teen gang members, to the marginalized people in New York City. He started holding church services specifically for them. And um, long story short, long story short, God did amazing things. God did amazing things with simple obedience to respond of a call of purpose that the Lord put on Wilkerson's heart. Um, some of you may have heard of, of Teen Challenge in, in 2022. Uh, it has more than 1,400 different location or locations in 129 countries around the world. That's something that David Wilkerson birthed out of this ministry to young gang members. Thousands and thousands and thousands of lives have been changed that have called out of addictions from one simple act of obedience and responding to the prompting of what the Lord put on David Wilkerson's heart. And so you might say to yourself, yeah, this is cool for, for, for Peter, right? This is a cool thing for Peter. This is a cool thing for, for David Wilkerson, but they were special, right? I'm just a normal person. However, um, I think I'm, I'm crazy enough to think that Jesus has a, person, a purpose for every person here. Jesus has a, a purpose for each one of us that's specific, and it's meant to shape you and me into Jesus' image so we can represent him to a lost and a broken world. 
Jesus is laying a huge dream down here for Peter. You're going to be a shepherd. <laughs> He's laying this, this big, big dream down. And so I want to encourage us to dream big. What is, what is God putting in your heart and your mind right now? Who has God called you to? All right, let's finish up reading our passage in John 21, uh, 18 and 19. We'll read those verses. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you, carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. <clears throat> and after he saying this, he said to him, follow me. Brings him right back. Jesus, uh, he's given Peter some insight on where feeding the sheep is going to take uh, Peter. And like, if you read closely, it's about the most like demotivating speech you could give to someone. Did you guys catch that? Like, they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. You know, you're old. You stretch out your hands. Uh, Jesus knows the end of the story for Peter. And, and Jesus is telling it to him here. And Peter's obedience is ultimately going to lead him to death on a cross. The same death that, that Jesus experienced. Glorifying God through death on the cross. And, and like, I don't know. Like, if I'm... If I'm Jesus and I know this guy has just denied me three times, I don't know if I'm telling him, like, the end of the story, right? You know, like, like, all right, Peter, you're going to do great. Like, don't tell him about the whole <laughs> dying on the cross thing, right? Um, and, like, if we're reading this for the first time, like, you're thinking, yeah, I don't think Peter's going to do this. I don't think he's going to sign up for this. However, we know the end of the story. Peter changes, like, dramatically. He sets, you know, he sets an incredible example uh, of, like, full, full redemption. And not only does he live a life that boldly testifies to Jesus, he, help, or he helps build the church. And then he asks, he has to be crucified upside down. Peter does. Because he doesn't feel worthy to share the same death as Jesus. Uh, amazing. How? How? Right? right? Like, that's the question you ask. How does, how does Peter transformed from this like denial to bold bold obedience and we're lucky enough where we we have we have peter's writings first and second peter where, where peter frequently writes about the struggle and the suffering he's going through but how there's so much joy in it because he gets to be like jesus he gets to represent jesus and so he gets to share in these sufferings and uh, this isn't going to be up on the screen, but 1 Peter 1, 3. P Peter writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the of, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter starts talking about this mercy that he receives that, that allows him to be changed, to be born again. And Peter doesn't just think this calling to, to represent Jesus is unique to him. In fact, he writes to all Christians, and we will have this up on the screen, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you've received mercy, if you've been called out of darkness and into light, then you have a purpose. Peter mentions, you know, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, and those sound like church words, right? But this is a reference all the way back to Exodus 19, when God said he's going to form his people into a, a nation of priests to represent God to the countries of this world. The priest's role, that's to be a go-between, to be a go-between between people and God and God and people. Peter is recognizing the role that Jesus gave him as the same one that every Christian should have on his or her life, representing Jesus to the world. And the question, what, what qualifies us to do that? And Peter tells us, receiving God's mercy. That means, you know what that means? It's being a sinner, being in a place where you come to God and you recognize, man, I can't do this. I'm messed up. I have parts of my life I am not proud of. I'm ashamed of. That's all of us. We are all, we're all qualified because we're unqualified. Uh, man, I, sometimes I make fun of pastors for saying cliche things like that. Um, <laughs> however, sometimes, sometimes I think well, we're, we're all qualified. The reason we're all qualified, because we're sinners, we need mercy. We have things in, in our past, you know, that we're not proud of. Sometimes I think the enemy or our own guilt points at those things and deceives us into thinking we're worthless because of our past, because of what we've done. It shames us from taking that mercy we received and turning it into a message. And so, I want to press in here. I want to introduce you to um, the second character in the story. Hey, look at that. It's already on the screen. Look at those two. That's David Wilkerson on the left. The story of Nicky Cruz. Uh, Nicky Cruz, he was born in Puerto Rico, the parents who, who practiced witchcraft. They beat him from as early as three years old. His mom called him a son of Satan. And at 15 years old, he was... He was causing so much trouble, his parents shipped him off to live with one of his brothers in New York City. I uh, started living in the streets. He joined a gang, and he was so good at being a gang member, he became the warlord of this gang in six months. Incredibly violent. Uh, one, of his, one of his best friends died in his arms from, from being stabbed. And, <laughs> and right around that same time, a country preacher named David Wilkerson met Nicky Cruz. And, and Wilkerson told Cruz Jesus loved him and would never stop loving him. And Cruz responded by slapping Wilkerson in the face <laughs> and threatening to kill him, spit on him. So did, what did David Wilkerson do? He did it again. He said, Jesus loves you, right? Came up to him again. Again, same response. This time even worse. Beat him up, spit on him, all those things. And despite this, you know, this is, what's, this is what's crazy. Despite this, he decides to go to a church service, you know, just to check it out, that Wilkerson had, had organized. He says, he writes about when he entered the room, he felt guilty about the things he'd done. 
he began to pray. <laughs> Afterwards, um, Wilgerson asked him and some of the other uh, gang members to help collect like an offering, and they, they did. And, um, and then they, they you know, get saved. They have this amazing testimony. Cruz, afterwards, some of him and some of his fellow gang members, they, they're converted, and they, they go to the police, and they turn in their, their bricks and their handguns gu and their knives. And so that one picture was Wilkerson exchanging the baseball bat that he used to beat people with for a Bible, which is just pretty cool. Um, and the police officers, the, the police said that if they had seen the gang members approaching, they probably would have shot them had they not known like their intention. Eventually, Cruz began to study the Bible. He went to Bible college. He became a preacher. He returns to his own old neighborhood where he preached and converted more of his gang members. And then he, you know, he went on to serve in Teen Challenge, and he still serves as an evangelist to this day. And this, this might be an extreme example, right? Um, I don't know everyone's stories. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is nothing to you. But what has Jesus, what has Jesus forgiven you from? Where, where have you found grace in your life? What is, what is your testimony? What kind of you know, pain have you been through? And I think it's exactly in that that Jesus wants to turn that to purpose. Has he restored your marriage? Has he taken you out of addiction? Has he healed your heart from loss, abuse, trauma? Maybe, just maybe, that might be the exact, exact area that you need to minister to others in. I'll encourage the, the band um, to come back up this time. So the, the question, right, what, what qualifies you in representing Jesus? At verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What qualifies you, not anything you've done. It's the mercy that God's given to you. It's the grace, the forgiveness that God's given to you that is just so good you can't keep it to yourself. If you've experienced mercy, if you've experienced grace, forgiveness, that's just the beginning, right? So, you know, Jesus asked uh, three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'll ask another question. How are you representing Jesus to the world? The purpose of our life is not to pursue pleasure. It's not to pursue retirement, you know, fortune, a job, relationship influence. The purpose of our life is to pursue Jesus and to live in such a way that reflects him to a world that's broken, that's dark. And so, again, how are you representing Jesus to the world? Who are the people that God's placed in your life to go after? How are you sharing the mercy that God has given to you to other people? I don't know where you're at, right? This is God is, is the author. He is so good at ordering things and, and, and bringing people into your life, putting you in, in circumstances that you need to be in. So you have to answer this question. And maybe there's some people here where you, you're, on, 
you're on the beginning sides of that. You need the mercy. You need the grace. God's grace is so good, right? Maybe some of you have walked away. It's been a while. God's pursuing you, right? He's pursuing you for a purpose. The things you've been through, you know, what you've done, it's not too, it's not too much for Jesus. Man, Jesus is so good. His love is so incredible. His grace is so amazing. He doesn't just leave us in a place where we're helpless by ourselves, but he comes after us. And he's able, only as he can do, to just combine all the mess that we create and turn it into something that is so beautiful. And so encourage you guys to stand as we go into this time of worship and I want to encourage you to respond however you need to we need to have these heart-to-heart moments with Jesus where he says all right you know you know God's grace I've shown you my love on the cross I haven't stopped pursuing you now do you love me we need to have these moments where we come to Jesus say yes Lord it's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try to follow you. I don't, I don't know how it's going to end, but I want to follow you. And so just join me in prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace that comes after all of us, for your love that's so personal and good, for your forgiveness that makes us new. And God, you are so amazing, so wonderful. You're worth our whole lives. Lord, I pray that you would undo things that we've been chasing, we've been running after, that don't lead to life, and that you would bring us back to our first love. You'd bring us back to you, the simple pursuit of knowing you, loving you, and reflecting you to our world. We love you, Jesus. Praise your name.